Overlooking Phoenix. From high above in the Star Worldwide Network Studios. Badge Boys. Stories, insight, guests, and true blue humor with retired police sergeant Darren Birch and retired police officer Jason Schechterly. And now, here they are, the Badge Boys. Welcome back to another edition of the Badge Boys, the show where two cops talk to the community. I'm retired Crime Stopper Sergeant Darren Birch, and unfortunately, retired Phoenix Police Officer Jason Sheckley is not in studio. He's having a much-needed uh, vacation. Good for him, but he will be back next week. But I have Rock and Robin, so we're good. We're good. We're going to... I'm the fail-safe. I'm always on the switch. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we got a great show. We have two guests, Rocco Besignac. He is a retired police officer out of Kentucky, uh, founder of uh, Camp Hero Incorporated. Uh, and with all the attacks on police officers and these injuries that you don't hear about, you just hear non-life-threatening. Well, this is his story of his injury. And this is one story that you haven't heard, and we're going to talk to him about his injury which stopped his law enforcement career early, unfortunately. And then we're going to also talk to Jessica Lopez Husky, who was a former University of Kentucky Police Department public relations expert. Great, great pedigree in terms of working in the movie industry. And she's helping, if you will, spread the word about good police officers. And so she's going to weigh in because there's a really cute story about a marriage proposal that went viral. Then we go into our second segment, Cop Talk, where we're going to talk to a retired police officer that's traveling the country in RV. He sold his home. He sold everything, and he's getting ready to go across the country. We'll hear about that trip, and then he's going to come back and tell us how it all turned out. Then the last segment, we're going to have stupid suspect stories. We're going to have heroic headlines and so much more. So stay tuned, stay informed, and we'll be right back. More stories, inside guests, and true blue humor coming up on Batch Boys. We'll be back right after this. I remember the moment. moment. I'll never forget that moment. As long as I live. As long as I live. Several of us were working to rescue a family. The house collapsed on top of the cellar door and trapped them. We had to use Humvees and heavy machinery to move massive trees and debris. We got them out. We helped a lot of people out. It felt good to know I could really make a difference. Because I'm a citizen soldier in the National Guard. Be there the moment your community needs you. Learn more at NationalGuard.com. Sponsored by the Arizona National Guard. Aired by the Arizona Broadcasters Association and this station. Move over, AZ. Arizona's move over law requires you to move over or slow down when you drive past any vehicle pulled over with flashing lights. Remember, every vehicle, every time. Move over, AZ. Sponsored by ADOT in partnership with the Arizona Broadcasters Association and this station. You're listening to Batch Boys with retired police sergeant Darren Birch and retired police officer Jason Schechterly. Now, back to the Batch Boys. In the opener, I talked a little bit about police officers. And right now, it's a very, very scary time for police officers. Uh, Emotionally, uh, spiritually, but also physically. Uh, Robin, how many police officers do you think have been injured in just New York City over the past three, four weeks? Well, I know they have the biggest police force in the country. So I would imagine hundreds, if not thousands, of them have been injured. That's a great, great guess. Over 300 Injured. And when I say injured, I mean to a point where you have to do some type of medical. So there's something up. It's not a hangnail. We're we're talking injuries where there's some type of hospitalization or at least going down to seeing a medic. Um, That's a lot in three 
weeks. That's crazy. It is crazy. And one of the things that one of my guests talked about is the fact that when someone's injured, a police officer's injured, and you see non-life threatening, you think, oh, good. And, and it is good. They're alive. But what you don't know is how horrible this injury is in terms of their, their life. Did it end their career? Has it made life difficult? Well, um, what about their mental state, having to go back out there and deal with what's happening? I mean, at that point, any normal human being would say, hell no, I'm going to stay home. And yeah. if you're physically able to go back to work, do you? Yeah. So what I wanted to do, it's kind of like a microcosm. I want to go and talk to an officer who was injured, has nothing to do with the, uh, the riots, has nothing to do with that aspect. It's just unfortunately one of the many hazards of the job, notwithstanding these riots and everything else going on in today's world. And uh, so who I have is a retired Kentucky officer, Rocco Besnick. He's uh, also the founder and director of Camp Heroes. And what's really interesting about this officer is uh, after being medically retired from the U.S. Navy and from the police officer due to this line of injury that we'll talk about, the passion to serve did not end there. Uh, he's volunteering with the Kentucky Wounded Heroes. He's starting this nonprofit, like I mentioned, called Camp Hero, and continues to give back by helping wounded veterans and first responders while also mentoring youth and building them up to be tomorrow's heroes. I love that. And Rocco, welcome to the show, my friend. Thank you. Also on the show, again, I mentioned uh, Jessica Lopez Husky, a uh, former uh, University of Kentucky Police Department public relations expert, uh, has an incredible pedigree with uh, various studios to include Marvels. And I love Marvel movies. I'm not real happy with Hollywood right now, but oh, yeah. it's mostly the actors uh, and, the, uh, and other people going on the bandwagon, um, kind of hating cops, and it's just unfortunate. But I love the movies, I won't lie. Uh, Jessica, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Uh, let's start with you, Rocco. If you would, tell me a little bit about your military background, if that came first, and then kind of segue into the, your, uh, your police career, if you would. Sure. Um, I went to uh, Navy base training a month after I graduated high school. Uh, I went into an electronic warfare and crypto, and um, about three and a half years into my Navy career, I ended up uh, becoming injured and had to be medically retired. Um, I ended up medically retiring in August of 2001. And after that, in recovering from that injury, I uh, did some contract security at you know Fort Knox. Um, and then I also became a uh, loss prevention supervisor at a local grocery store. And after that, I put into the Florida Police Department, their Shepherdsville Police Department, and got hired in 2009. Um, in 2009, I went to the academy, graduated in uh, January of 2010, and uh, I was very proactive. I loved policing. Um, I, I was pretty much took it on as an identity. And uh, so I got the DUI, Governor's DUI Award, all but one year that I was there. Um, very proactive as far as uh, drug enforcement, and I really like to interact with the kids in the city also. 
You know, it's funny. I'm listening to your career, and you talk about uh, naval uh, intelligence. And I was military intelligence. I was electronic warfare, signals intelligence, mirror locator identifier. So we're going to have to talk a little bit about our, uh, our war stories. But uh, I can't help but think that when that injury occurred and, and you had to kind of reinvent yourself and you did this great job, and I love how you laid out the, uh, the blueprint of your career, you know, with um, security, loss prevention, just kind of working your way up into the police uh, career, I, I can't help but think you had to be so proud to kind of reinvent yourself. Uh, can you tell me a little bit how that felt? Uh, definitely. It was after being in the Navy, I guess I started, you know, realizing that my job was to be a servant. And this is something I didn't realize until after I actually lost my uh, police career and going through therapy and dealing with that is I was trying to, after I was out of the military, because I planned on being in the military for my career, um, got out of that, tried to, you know, find my identity again. And as a police officer, I fit right in. Everything was great as far as how the structure was, um, pretty much how, you know, the police structure and the military structure. I mean, there's no gray areas. Everything's black and white. you got, you know, your leadership structure and everything. Everything just fit perfect. So uh, that, you know, that's that's what, how it felt for me. And I like being able to interact with other people, too. So that being a police officer allowed me to interact with the community. And that was another great thing, another great part of it. Uh, so that's and that I plan on being a police officer until I was physically unable to do so, which I didn't plan on it being after seven and a half years. But, you know, that's I really enjoyed it. And I love my job. Yeah, when I listen to uh, what you're what you're saying, and I, I get that sense, which most police officers have that that calling or service. It's all about helping the community. It's just in us. This is part of our DNA. And I do want to talk to you a little bit about reinventing yourself twice over. Bless your heart and the the PTS. I never call it the PTSD. It's not a, a, a disorder. It's it's a reality that many people face. Anyone can face it. Uh, but I do want to talk about that, but I want, like, if you would, if you don't mind, go into the weeds, if you will, and talk about that injury and what happened. Can you start us off on that day? Sure. Oh, as a police officer? Yes, please. Okay. Um, I was, uh, as I said, I was, I was very big into um, targeting drug dealers, drug, drug enforcement, and there were known drug houses in the community that I worked at, in drug areas, and uh, it was right before midnight. On uh, July 3rd of uh, 2016, and uh, actually the anniversary is coming up, um, and uh, I watched a vehicle leave a drug house, and uh, it pulled into a gas station, and I was able to run the tag as it was pulling in, and it showed that the uh, registered owner, who was the driver, had a suspended license. Uh, I pulled in behind her, and uh, she was getting out of the car at the time. And I went ahead and addressed her and told her, hey, the reason I'm stopping you is I bring a plate and I showed you have a suspended license. Uh, she had a passenger with her, and um, I had her get back in the car and check for for insurance and registration. She acknowledged that her license was suspended. Um, I already had the backup unit route because the platoon I worked on, they knew if I was stopping someone to go ahead and start heading my way because I'm usually getting into something. Um, so... By the time they got there, I was back at my vehicle to finish running her information and uh, come to find out she ended up having 
several warrants for uh, assault third on police officer, fleeing and evading, wanton endangerment, uh, burglaries. She had four or five felony warrants. Um, while I was running her, my partner noticed that she was acting kind of skittish and told her to put her keys on top of the car. So she did. And um, I actually, my vehicle, told my partner that uh, she had felony warrants, and I went to go get her out of the car, told her to step out of the car. And um, at that time, she opened up the door and grabbed the keys. Uh, so I reached in there, tried to get the keys before she got on the ignition uh, with my body. I was pretty much between her steering wheel and her body, but she got it started and floored it and dragged me about 60 feet with the bottom half of my body hanging out. Um, made a right-hand turn. I come out of the car, rolled, uh, hit the curb on my neck, and she ran over my legs. Um, I, I still jumped up, ran to my car, and uh, chased, him, chased her down or tried to. It was raining and it was dark. Um, come to find out, she ended up pulling back behind a building, and I didn't see. And after about a mile and a half down the road, the uh, my upper back and neck just started tightening up real bad, so I pulled over and stopped. And uh, that's when my partner went ahead and stopped, and we went ahead and canceled the pursuit since we knew who she was. And uh, I called for EMS to come check me out. Um, EMS came and got me. Went to University of Louisville Hospital. They did uh, CT scans, ultrasounds, stuff like that. Um, Make sure I had no internal bleeding. Uh, they originally thought it was going to be just a, a bad neck strain and back sprain, and uh, they released me that next morning. Um, I would tell me to follow up with a workers' comp doctor. I followed up with a work comp doctor, and uh, he went ahead and scheduled me for physical therapy twice a week. So I was going ahead, and uh, the next week I actually went back to work, um, and I started doing physical therapy twice a week also. So about a month into physical therapy, uh, it was it had been steadily getting worse in my neck. The pain had been getting worse. And uh, I told the doctor, I was telling him, something's not right, it's getting worse. And uh, so he did an MRI, and I ended up having four levels of herniation in my neck where I hit the curb. Mm. So he went ahead and put me off work then. And uh, after a couple more months of physical therapy, he went ahead and referred me to a neurosurgeon. And uh, ended up having a single-level fusion done in my neck. And I was hoping, you know, I was going to recover and get back to work. But uh, I was still having issues with nerve pain in my arms and leg, or in my arms and hands. Um, still having neck pain, and then I uh, went back to the surgeon for follow up, and he finally told me that I couldn't go back to work as a police officer. And that's when everything hit me. You know, it wasn't it wasn't the injury, it wasn't being hurt, the actual physical pain. But once someone told me that you can't go back to work. Yeah, there's too much damage because of this. Uh, that's when, like everyone, every everything came to a head. It was all the emotional stuff, all the you know, mental issues. I, I got very depressed. Um, there was actually a point where I was looking up ways to commit suicide um, because the everything, as far as I knew, it was ending. You know, that was my life. Um, that's that's who I identify myself. My my identity was being taken away, not by my choice. So, uh, you know, it was just it was getting worse, and uh, I ended up actually meeting my. It was then 
well, my current wife during this process while I was going through everything. I met her after I got hurt, and uh, she was there for me every She's step of the nurse, way. She's a nurse, isn't she? She is a nurse, and she she helped take care of me. She was there for me to support me. Um, I while I was also going through this process, you know, well, they they ended up catching the uh, the lady who ran me over two days later at a drug house. Uh, well, my state trooper buddy caught her, and um, she was in jail. We had trial that next April. Um, she decided she wanted a trial by judge. She didn't want a trial by jury. So we went, and I have body cam showed everything. I had a body camera on. Two other people had body camera on. And I was actually on the Investigation Discovery body cam TV show. My injury was. Gotcha. And um, But... She was found guilty of assault first on a police officer and one endangerment and being a persistent felony offender and was sentenced to 40 years in prison. Love it. Love it. She has to do 20 years before she's eligible for parole. And the sentencing date just happened to be my last day as a police officer, um, which was May 31st of 2017 because my June 1st is my first day of retirement. So it was kind of bittersweet for that to be on that date. I got to do my my final out of service call on the radio that day too, so it was it was pretty rough, but it, it there was a lot of weight lifted off my shoulders. A lot of emotions I can't even imagine, uh, you know. But I can't also help but think you got a bad person who was going to kill a cop off the road because uh, trash uh, POSs come in all shapes and forms and races and sexes. Uh, so based on what you did that night, even though it was so costly for your career and you and your, your well-being, uh, you did something amazing, uh, my brother. Um, we, you talked about the PTS, and I couldn't help but notice you talked about the anniversary uh, is coming up. And uh, those anniversaries are always very, very difficult. Um, how are you doing today? And then I'm going to bring in Jessica because uh, I uh, understand there was a pretty kind of cool marriage proposal that went viral so uh how are you doing today sir i'm i'm doing okay um well i consider it okay and it might be it'd be horrible for other people but it's my okay uh I, i'm still dealing with a lot of pain i've already had four spinal surgeries in my lower back and in my neck i've got a spinal cord stimulator implanted and i'm getting a pain pump implanted next week so hopefully i'll help with the pain um i've actually spent the last five days in bed just because I went fishing on Friday. So it's a, a lot of people, they'll look at me and they think I'm fine because I look fine on the outside. But it's pretty, when you when you have spinal injuries and nerve injuries like that, then it's pretty debilitating as far as pain-wise. <sighs> and it doesn't, there's no way to heal it. It's, it's all trying to make yourself more comfortable and try to make your, um, improve your quality of life. Yeah, people talk about the new normal and trying to, you know, wrap your head around that new normal. Exactly. And that was, and that was the biggest thing for me is trying to figure out what my new normal was, who, and, and mourning my old my old self. That was a big part of recovery from this is being able to mourn who I was and realize who I am now. And have a future. It's a different future. but And, and now it sounds like it in one aspect. It's a beautiful future with this this beautiful lady who has become your your wife. And I'm going to bring in 
uh, Jessica, because uh, I want to find out from Jessica how she met you, Rocco, and how she got involved with this uh, very unusual uh, um, marriage proposal. Uh, Jessica, again, welcome to the show. And uh, can you tell us how you got involved with uh, Rocco? Sure. Um, he reached out to our chief of police, Joe Monroe, at the University of Kentucky Police Department, asking about um, creating a, a fake traffic stop to facilitate a marriage proposal. And I believe he also reached out to the police department's Facebook as well. And this is something that he's gotten several requests from, you know, different people from the community, but he never, he never really brought it to my attention to make it happen until, until Rocco came along. I think he has a, a really interesting story and it was a really beautiful thing that he wanted to do and, and, and involve us as well. And uh, we were happy to do it. And uh, Rocco, tell me, what was this plan? Because a little bit I've read about it, it took months of planning. You had, it, there was a lot of things involved because she was a nurse. So you had to get her people involved. Tell us about it, would you, buddy? Yeah. And uh, I also had a, a videographer involved, too. So I had to schedule around his plan. And, and also they scheduled my surgeon scheduling surgery for me, too. So after a few months of getting it, getting kind of the all the stuff kinks worked out logistics as as, yeah, logistics what they could do and what they couldn't do on a traffic stop where they could go and where they couldn't go you know as far as safety reasons and uh we worked it out and it was pretty much this is the only day that we can do it and uh because the next week i think their uk was having everyone was moving they're doing move-ins so they're going to be too busy and then the week before yeah. i just had surgery and then on that week the only day that my videographer could come was that day that it happened so, so tell me like about that the, day tell me about that day all or none. so what happened is we planned it for that day um i worked i got in touch with the doctor that she works for and a couple of the, her nurse friends i'm like okay we need to figure out how to get her in a car and get her to go by the, the stadium here so she, we can get her pulled over and uh <laughs> So we worked with the doctor, and her doctor, um, my, my wife works for the pediatric forensics unit, which they deal with the child physical and sex abuse cases. Bless her heart. So my doctor, her doctor that she worked for, who was pregnant, said, hey, we need to go over here to Ronald McDonald's house. They got some donations for us, you know, for the kids. So they were going to have to, you know, drive by where the stadium was. Well, on the way there, her doctor was saying, oh, I don't feel good. You know, she was pregnant. She was saying she had morning sickness. She's like, can you pull over? I think I'm going to throw up. And uh, my wife kept trying to pull over on the side of the road. She's like, no, keep going over here because she wanted to make sure she gets to where <laughs> get pulled over. So finally she got her to pull into the parking lot. And I was in the uh, patrol car with the police officer. And he pulled in behind her and uh, turned the lights on, pulled her over. And uh, he got out and uh, approached her and told her and went up to her window and told her uh, that uh, uh, she was dragging something from behind the car. And, she's like, <laughs> and, she's, and of course, out of everyone, anything she said, she's like, well, this isn't my car. And I'm like, of course, of course, my wife's going to say that. But, <laughs> and the, and uh, because she was driving her doctor's car. But uh, so she, she said, I need you to see what's, you know, back here behind this car behind your car what you're dragging and while he was talking to her i went got out of the uh, passenger side of the patrol car and i was kneeling down between the two cars and as i was kneeling down you know she come up there and i was holding the ring and uh, you know she sees me and of course she's surprised 
And then she yelled at me for being on my knee. <laughs> the nurse in her came out. <laughs> exactly. She she's yelling at me for being on my knee because I had just had surgery oh. five days before on my lower back, and I wasn't supposed to be kneeling. And I was, I'm like, well, that's what I'm supposed to do. You know? And then, <laughs> uh, so finally, you know, I asked her, and she said yes. And uh, then she realizes what the cameras were there for. She thought the camera crews might have been the news crew there talking about school getting ready to start and stuff like that. She didn't really, you know. Really, this is all about her. It's all about her. So, yeah, she and she ended up doing that and saying yes, of course. And uh, it just—I'm just glad that she was also on call that day, so she didn't have a kid to see. But we had like a two-hour window to make it work, and we ended up making it work. I love that story. Uh, how long ago was that? That was in 2017. Oh, very, very nice. August. Very nice. Well done. Well played. Well done. I love that story. And thank you, Jessica, for bringing it to my attention. I cannot thank the both of you, uh, but especially you, Rocco, for having that heart. And I would love, in closing, for you to tell me a little bit about your nonprofit that you're part of, because I know that's real important to you, sir. Sure. Um, I was lucky enough to be able to purchase a, it's 160 acres, and it has 1860s cabin on it. Um, and it's surrounded by 3,000 acres of national forest. Um, and uh, what I wanted to do is, I started a nonprofit to be able to host wounded veterans and wounded first responders out there for just outdoor getaways. Uh, one of the, my ways I've been able to heal, not physically, but mentally, emotionally, and everything else, is being in the outdoors. Um, nothing changes in the outdoors. Then there's a lot more to be able to look at and relax, and you realize there's a lot more out there except for what's going on in your head and what's going on with you. So I call it outdoor therapy. So what I'm doing is host Small groups of wounded vessel first responders come out there, either just hang out for three, four days, or I'll have hunts scheduled. I have a hunt scheduled for wounded vets coming up in September. I've already had a youth hunt for kids from wounded veterans and first responders there in December. Um, but you know, COVID's kind of pushed some stuff out of the way, but that's that's what I've been doing. And I've, I've got plenty of friends that are first responders and vets that I, it's pretty much an open door down there. Yeah, for people that are listening and like, oh, my gosh, I love this. Uh, what's the point of contact where they can get a hold of you and find more information out about this wonderful nonprofit that you started? Uh, the website is camphero.ky.org. That's C-A-M-P-H-E-R-O-K-Y.org. And on there, you can it shows information about the uh, organization, uh, ways you can donate, ways there's shirts and hats you can buy there. Uh, we also have a Facebook and Instagram, uh, and you can just search for Camp Hero Kentucky on either one of those, and you'll be able to find it. And uh, it's really, I mean, I've gotten tons of support locally there. Um, I'm going to end up working with the sheriff there in that county to do mentoring for a lot of the kids there because uh, it's a very poor county. It's in Jackson County, Kentucky, and uh, 40% of the kids are actually raised by their grandparents because their their parents are either on drugs or in prison or dead. Mm. So we're we're going to end up doing a um, the youth mentoring thing where I'm going to end up matching up wounded vets and first responders who to help mentor these kids and teach them some kind of life skills, teach them outdoor stuff. You know, that way they have some kind of positive role model in their life. I love how you reinvented yourself three times, my friend, from military to police and now 
helping both in this camp. Uh, your dedication to service is so remarkable. I cannot thank you enough. And I want to put this out to you, sir. If you ever have a need to come back on and kind of promote some event or anything else, please reach out to me. Yeah, I definitely will. I appreciate you letting me come on here and talk about it. Absolutely. And Jessica, again, thank you so much for bringing this to my attention. What a wonderful story. And thank you for all you've done helping law enforcement. Yeah, my pleasure. Actually, I did want to mention a couple little things Please. about the proposal as a little backstory. Um, sometimes it's like pulling teeth, trying to get the police officers to go along with, <laughs> with my, you know, shenanigans, they would probably call it, for lack of a better word. Um, so I had a hard time convincing an officer to do the traffic stop. Um, and finally, I had, he was a sergeant then, he's a lieutenant now, Lieutenant Michael Pope. He said, okay, fine, you know, quit annoying me, I'll, I'll do it. And later, he was really excited to be part of something that kind of a once in a lifetime kind of thing too. And he, you know, just made a fake traffic stop to help Rocco and Lauren, you know, start their new lives together. But he got props from the law enforcement community saying like, hey, I'm surprised how, you know, calm and cool and collected you seen was like no big deal. I'd be really nervous or I'd probably, you know, mess up the traffic stop. So he was really proud to be a part of it. And, and we were really thankful, I think, as the University of Kentucky Police Department to kind of help facilitate this and, and really help change the story of Rocco from, you know, his injury to transforming that into something um, that was really heartwarming for the community and not just the university community, but the Lexington community as well. Everybody loved this story. They loved sharing it. They loved commenting on it. It was just a really great feel good story that um, helped shine the light on all the good stuff that the police officers do as well. Oh, so well said. And you're exactly right as cops. And, and I know uh, Rocco gets this, you know, we, we put the, our, police cap on and we it's about business we're going to do business and then somebody wants to do a ride along and it's like oh i just want to you know arrest bad guys and do my job and uh, we do need somebody like you uh jessica out there to help us uh show what we do day in day out and get stories like this out there so again i cannot thank both of you enough uh thank you so much thank you i appreciate it and we'll be right back more stories, inside guests, and true blue humor coming up on Batch Boys. We'll be back right after this. Move over, AZ. Arizona's move over law requires you to move over or slow down when you drive past any vehicle pulled over with flashing lights. Remember, every vehicle, every time. Move over, AZ. Sponsored by ADOT in partnership with the Arizona Broadcasters Association and this station. I'll never forget, never forget that moment. As long as I live. As long as I live. My first call ever as a member of the National Guard. When we got to the armory, they briefed us on the wildfires. They were getting dangerously close to homes. Helicopters were going out to drop water on the fires. Guys in the unit were preparing for firefighting with local fire crews. At that moment, I got my first taste of just how important the Guard is to my community. See how the Guard can be an important part of your life at NationalGuard.com. Sponsored by the Arizona National Guard. Aired by the Arizona Broadcasters Association and this station. You're listening to Batch Boys with retired police sergeant Darren Birch and retired police officer Jason Schechterly. Now, back to the Batch Boys. We have retired Phoenix Police Sergeant Phil Roberts. 33 plus years, stellar career, and he's done something remarkable in his retirement. He has sold his home, sold his personal belongings, bought an RV, and is traveling across America with his beautiful wife. And, and we're going to talk to him 
at the end of that journey to hear about these stories. So without further ado, uh, Phil, welcome to the show. Well, thank you very much, Darren. It is remarkable, although some people might think it's a little bit crazy, but we <laughs> tend to think it's remarkable. It is. And, and so what, what was the catalyst for this, and what are you, what is the plan, if you will? Well, I think we're like most Americans. Most people love to travel. And they want to go out and see the country. But, you know, and I was the same way. I mean, you keep putting it off. You delay it. You know, you get job and kids and things like that. And my wife and I were both retiring. Again, you know, myself, 33 years um, of service with the Phoenix PD. And she was retiring from the corporate world. And we thought, well, let's do a little bit of traveling. And again, I think like most people, maybe take a cruise a year or something. And then we started watching, of all crazy things, we started watching some YouTube channels. And we found areas that were called full-time RV or RV life. And we never owned an RV. I've never owned a pop-up trailer. I've never driven anything <laughs> bigger than a U-Haul van. And we started looking at this. And at first, we thought, well, maybe we'll get a small RV and we'll RV just for a few months. And over the course of time, that morphed into what is now affectionately referred to in the RV community as full-time RVers. We have sold our home. We put some of our nicer belongings into a storage facility, but we are going to hit the road and we are going to be 100% full-time RVers traveling across the country. We do not have a physical home that we live in. We like to say that our home has axles. <laughs> and you're going to chronicle this on some kind of YouTube channel, correct? That is correct. Yeah, we've got a YouTube channel up. We've got it up now about 38, 40 videos approximately, and it's called uh, Two Separate Words, Blue Line. So it's not one word, it's two words, Blue Line, and then RV adventures blue line rv adventures and it kind of documents a little bit about me uh, leading up towards my retirement from the phoenix police department i've got a video up of preparing for a retirement party and getting my friends together and then even my last day at work on the department and things like that and then it kind of blends into um, a retirement vacation we went down to the caribbean because it really what we are is we're a social media travel channel is what we are. Gotcha. But it also documents our life. And we did that, and then uh, it talked about us searching for an RV, trying to buy what something we refer to as that does not exist, looking for the perfect RV that doesn't exist. But, you know, our purchasing in the RV and everything else. I love it. I want our listeners to check that out because that will be the prep work, the foundation for when you come back to tell the stories of what you found on the road with Phil. So will you join us in a couple months when you return? Absolutely. We're going we're gonna to chronicle our adventures and we'll bring in some stories for you. Hopefully mostly good. Maybe a few, maybe a few anecdotal stories, but hopefully uh, mostly all good. But yeah, we're going to be doing some traveling up north into the Rocky Mountains. and We're going to go as far north as Glacier National Park and make a big U-turn and head back down towards the valley. I love it. Thank you for joining us on the show for this tease. And we look forward to you returning and talking to us about your incredible journey on the road. Right there. Thank you. We'll be right back. More stories, inside guests, and true blue humor coming up on Batch Boys. We'll be back right after this. I remember the moment. moment. I'll never forget that moment. As long as I live. As long as I live. Several of us were working to rescue a family. The house collapsed on top of the cellar door and trapped them. We had to use Humvees and heavy machinery to move massive trees and debris. We got them out. We helped a lot of people out. It felt good to know I could really make a difference. Because I'm a citizen soldier in the National Guard. Be there the moment your community needs you. Learn more at NationalGuard.com. Sponsored by the Arizona National Guard. Aired by the Arizona Broadcasters Association and this station. Move over, AZ. Arizona's move over law requires you to move over or slow down when you drive past any vehicle pulled over with flashing lights. Remember, every vehicle, every time. Move over, AZ. Sponsored by ADOT in partnership with the Arizona Broadcasters Association and this station. 
You're listening to Badge Boys with retired police sergeant Darren Birch and retired police officer Jason Schechterly. Now, back to the Badge Boys. You know, Robin, that that, that was an incredible, inspirational interview. Yeah. Hearing this hero, I'll call him a hero, because he served us in the Navy, was injured, had to take a medical retirement, wanted a full career. Then he was able to reinvent himself, took some time reinventing himself, you know, from security to loss prevention to all the way up to becoming a police officer and doing outstanding work with these awards and then stopping this person that was going to end up killing a police officer and then only to get hurt horrifically on the spine, have to reinvent himself and has done so with this beautiful story with his new wife who's a nurse, forensic Child crimes nurse. Wow. Boot. Yeah, so what a wonderful couple, and I'm so thankful that Jessica brought them to our attention. That's awesome. You it know, is. it's hard to reinvent yourself, especially after having a career ending Just injury. Just once. Yeah. Just once. You know, it's tough for officers to do it from retirement. We have to reinvent ourselves, and it's a tough gig. It really is, because it, like um, Rockwell said, it, it's how we identify ourselves in these roles and, and what we do. It's, it's a calling. And it really is. It's a calling to, to help the community. And so um, I'm just so happy. I just, you know, I just hope he has a, a successful road ahead because I know there's pain. He's involved with pain. And, and so I'll be thinking about him and hopefully we'll have him back on and talk about where he's at and uh, in that road ahead. But he's got a nurse as a wife. I mean, I he, he lucked out. Right, he right, out. right, yes. right. <laughs> um, so this is perfect segue talking about heroic headlines because we don't have Jason. And so I couldn't segue with my, my beautiful friend, Jason. So I have Rocco to do it because what he's doing is truly heroic. Uh, so speaking of heroics, uh, we have a South Carolina deputy who saved a choking baby and becomes her godfather. Aww. Isn't that nice? In a powerful moment caught on camera, South Carolina deputy William Kimbrough saved Kamira Boyd's choking daughter during a traffic stop in 2019. As a result, this week, he became Riley's godfather. Riley was a little baby at the time, making the encounter a, quote, lifelong bond for both of them. Quote, it's wonderful. I'm so happy and just blessed. It means the world to me, um, he told the uh, news and and proudly talking about how he's now godfather of Riley. The mom expressed her gratitude uh, on the television, stating, quote, him helping out my daughter, I felt like I could not just let him go. He's part of my heart. Thank him, thank him so much. Now, in a similar story that occurred recently in Palmdale, California, a video surveillance camera recorded a Los Angeles County Sheriff's deputy saving an unresponsive baby from choking during a Black Lives Matter protest. So this recent times, we got all this protesting on. You don't hear this in the news. Uh, You hear all the other stuff, but you don't hear that this 11-month-old boy's mother and another woman were attending the protest. Uh, This is May 31st in, again, Palmdale, California, when the baby came despondent, lost consciousness, and stopped breathing. The woman ran across the street to a supermarket parking lot uh, where she saw the deputy standing. Uh, In the video, you can see Deputy Cameron Kinsey run towards the women when he realized they were in some kind of distress, not knowing what. It could have been a ruse because cops were being ambushed and ruses. But you know what? His his need to save life and help people kicked in and overrode his self-prevention, really. Um, The mother handed him the limp child, and he immediately assessed the baby and administered a mouth sweep 
which is what you do right before you do CPR and those sort of things with his finger. And this lodged a lot of vomit. The baby immediately began breathing after that sweep. Uh, quote, none of the other stuff matters, he said, just the baby. The paramedics arrived and took the child to a nearby hospital where it was determined the boy had swallowed a coin, which oh had lodged in his throat, and his sweeping the airway moved the coin so that he could breathe from being complete blockage to a side angle where he was able to breathe. Uh, quote, and this is our, uh, our hero, quote, mom did everything right. Uh, she was quick thinking and started patting him on the back to dislodge whatever he had stuck in there. I saw that. I saw she was scared and kind of frantic. So I ran over and grabbed the baby. At that point, training just took over. He thanks her, the mom, about what she did. He then, as it relates to himself, simply said, it was the training. Again, these heroes, they just want to help people. They don't get the credit. They don't want the pat on the backs. They just want to help people. Uh, and again, you know, he just kind of uh, says, it was the training. That's all it was. Brings tears to my eyes when I hear that because first responders, no matter what kind of badge they wear, it's they're taken for granted a lot of the time. So I'm grateful for them. Yeah. I, 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 oh God, it's good for you. You know, I again, you know, usually it's Jason that takes us to this high road, and, and so I don't do as good of a job, but I can take us down. Into I can take us to the gutter, okay. absolutely. And I'm going to maybe, maybe start a new segment here. I'm going to have to talk to Jason, see if he uh, agrees. Maybe a, you know how we have de Blasio? We almost, every week, unfortunately, talk about de Blasio, something stupid he's doing. I was thinking about the stupid de Blasio report. I'm oh. thinking, yeah, yeah, the stupid de Blasio report. I don't know why I'm saying that, that, he may may want to read those every week he does not like that guy (laughs) oh oh, he would love it right right Right. uh so i will tell you this de blasio uh cut one billion dollars and that's b with a billion uh from the new um new york's nearly six billion budget so a sixth of their budget he cut uh, city council um, helped him with this uh, cut to include additional half a billion dollars away from them for planned future projects. Uh, he said money that he's come up with a plan to cut and transfer a billion dollars from their budget and, and could not and would not guarantee department's headcount would not shrink. Now, keep in mind, this is a headcount. We're talking about personnel. He's his headcount. We're talking about cops. We're talking people that save lives like we just talked about. Um, there's a 25% rise in violent crimes with a major crime spree with MERS up to 25% as well. Uh, last week, there was 63 shootings compared to a year ago, same week, 26. This is a major wow. rise in crimes, and this idiot is going to uh, have a major cutback with the police department. And what is it? It's simple extortion. He's listening to these clueless individuals that have some agenda they're saying defund and he's listening to them and the crime rate in new york is going to become staggering people are going to be leaving they're it's going to be escape to new york wow yeah john copper nailed it with that one no yeah. kidding yeah. we're snake when you need him thank you snake bliskin we need you sir <laughs> um <laughs> this is a perfect time for an inspirational close uh what I want to do is uh, read you something, um, I, a quote I wrote. Quote, I strongly encourage anyone who has lost a loved one to read this often humorous, spiritually uplifting story of a widow's soul-searching pilgrimage into the afterlife. It's a love story, a ghost story, an investigative story. It's a story like no other. Uh, what I'm talking about is soul stirrings. Um, 
I have been remiss. This is a beautiful book. I just fell in love with it. And our beautiful Rockin' Robin Cote wrote it. It's her second book. And Robin, I was hoping you would just tell me a little bit about um, the inspiration and, and what this book means to you, why you wrote it, and just talk a little bit about it. It's not your job to make me cry. That's Jason's <laughs> job. <laughs> well, he's not here, so I had to. Oh, my God. Um, the main inspiration for writing Soul Stirrings, it's a, new, it's a number of different things. And it's taken me a long time to admit to something. And writing this book, I have no choice but to admit it. But I'm able to communicate with people who have passed on. I'm not a trained psychic. I'm not someone who sits before a crystal ball and conjures up spirits. I'm just a person who has had a lot of death in my life. And I never really understood it when I was a child. But the main thing happened in 2001 when my husband passed away from cancer. And he started visiting me quite a bit. And I am a huge skeptic. I have a journalistic background. I always wanted to be a cop, as most of the listening audience knows. And you played a cop on TV. I played a cop on TV <laughs> in about 20 different movies. So, you know, even a lieutenant who was a serial killer, <laughs> yeah, right, go me. figure. But, um, you know, it, back in those days, I didn't believe what was happening. I didn't understand it. But when it's like the UFO theory, if it happens to just you... You think you're going crazy, but if you have other people around you that see it, feel it, hear it, experience it, you at least have witnesses to what's going on. And I actually started this book many, many, many years ago, and you know, it took me forever to put it down in writing because I had to keep journals for the attorneys when my husband was suing for malpractice, which turned to wrongful death. I had to keep journals and just write the day-to-day activities that a cancer patient goes through and everything that was happening. So I had these manuscripts sitting back from years ago, and so many things happened that said, okay, it's time to write this. And I think the biggest catalyst that started me on that path of writing it was going to ground zero and visiting visiting the grounds. Everybody's touched when they go there. And so for someone with that ability it just really kicked in high gear yeah and i'm not the only one there's been other people that have experienced things but as you know you don't really talk about it openly publicly because it it does freak people out and they think you're a lunatic and you're should be in a straitjacket and believe me there were times i thought i should be in a straitjacket too but going down to ground zero in uh, january of 2018 I was able to connect with six spirits there. And that was something that if I hadn't had my buddy, Andy, who is a New Yorker standing by my side, I would not have believed what was happening. And to you me. were uh, contacted by fire departments. Actually, um, I contacted the fire department. They're very <laughs> open. Were they not? Uh, well, yeah, the, um, I had, con- I had connected with one of the firefighters who had perished that day. And, I went back the week of September 11th, I believe it was September 5th or 6th, that following year in 2019, and Andy and I went to Ten House, which was the fire department where this young man had worked, and I met with the only existing firefighter that was still on active duty from the 9-11 era. All these other younger guys were there, but imagine a stranger walking in from Arizona into a firehouse directly across the street from where the Twin Towers once stood that was there that day and who had lost six members of his fire crew along with other people that he knew and having to look at that 
building across the street every day. And, you know, I was blessed because Sal accepted me and Andy coming in and talking to him. And to be able to stand before a first responder who lived through some of the most horrific stuff that most of us will never even imagine in our lifetime. Thankfully, To stand before him and to share what I could share with him and to, to watch. The most beautiful thing about it that inspires me is I saw the look of relief on his face. I saw the tears in his eyes and I saw that heaviness, that burden of the heaviness that he had held for so long from 2001 on his shoulders just sagged down. It was gone. That heaviness was gone, knowing that this young man did not suffer when that building fell and crushed him and ended his life. So for me, the message that I give to everybody about this book and about why I wrote it is the fact that we have to understand that there's just a very thin veil between us and our loved ones. They're not 100% gone. Even when they die physically, they are still with us emotionally. And if you see things, if you hear things, if you feel things, even if you smell like a perfume of somebody or you hear their voice saying something to you or they drop you a feather or a coin, whatever the signs are, it doesn't matter what anyone else thinks. In your heart, if you believe that is a sign from your loved one, that's what you take with you because if anything, it just means that you feel good knowing that that person you love is still with you and not 100% gone from your life. They never really are. I'll say this. When reading Soul, Soul Stirrings, I, um, I knew instantly that if you're a believer, you're going to just embrace this book and love this book. If you're not a believer, you're going to look at this and say, hmm, I wonder. It's a great, great book, and I meant every word of it. Again, I strongly encourage anyone who has lost a loved one to read this often humorous, spiritually uplifting story of uh, Robin's soul-searching pilgrimage into the afterlife. It really is a love story, a ghost story, an investigative story. It's a story like no other. And thank you for inspiring us with this book. Wow. I... (laughs) Yeah, thanks for bringing me to tears. <laughs> <laughs> and we had a wonderful, wonderful show, some good stuff. But I'll be honest with you, I just can't wait for Jason to return. So until next week, stay safe. Batch Boys. Thanks for listening to Batch Boys. <laughs> Stories, insights, guests, and true blue humor with retired police sergeant Darren Birch and retired police officer Jason Schechterly. Batch Boys, heard weekly and worldwide on Star Worldwide Networks and all mobile devices. Badge Boys.